I have a little rambling to do before I start the uh, message proper. Three things to say. <clears throat> First of all, um, in, my, in my prayers recently, God has been uh, bringing to mind, nobody has said anything about this, but God's been bringing to mind that um, I preached a sermon, I don't even know if you remember it, uh, a long time ago, about feeling free to not um, feel like you have to rejoice when trouble hits or you're not a good enough Christian. And the message there was, uh, you know, God weeps with us when we weep and laughs with us when we laugh, and Jesus will be attentive to you even if you are taken back and very sad. What has been happening is that God has been laying on my heart that somebody misunderstood. Um, and, and again, nobody has said anything, but this is just something I feel God is troubling my spirit about. Somebody misunderstood. Let me say this to you. If God has given you a spirit of rejoicing during a trial, that is a true gift of God. You are not faking that. That is something that the Holy Spirit can do in your life, and you need to be able to thank God for that and rest in Him and rejoice. But if God does not give you that spirit, you don't need to put on a plastic grin so that everybody will think you're as good a Christian as everybody else. That's the basic thing. But I, didn't want you to, I don't want you to be mistaken. God can, can and does give some people a very special sense of rejoicing during a time of suffering. And they are not faking it. That's a straight gift from God. So whoever misunderstood that, please don't think that we were making fun of that. That is, that is a gift, and that's to be terrifically uh, appreciated. Second thing, somebody after the sermon last Sunday asked a very good question. She said, I have a lot of trouble. The sermon last Sunday was about Satan and how he works. She said, I have a lot of trouble believing that Satan lives in me and is privy to my thoughts. Um, that somehow just doesn't sit right with me, that Satan's inside of me. Um, how does Satan operate? Satan does not live in you in the sense that Christ lives in you. But the Bible is very clear that Satan invades your hearts at specific times during your life. You can read in Scripture about Satan, and Judas was sitting there, and the Bible says, and Satan entered into Judas at that point. See? So I want you to know that Satan does not live in you unless you invite him there. But there are certain times when you are very open to him being in there, and in a sense you invite him in the same way you invite Christ because you would like to hate you would like to misunderstand. You would like to be indignant, see? You would like to envy and all of those kinds of things. And at those times, Satan does come into your life and twist your thoughts even more. So I want you to have a clear understanding about that and about the biblical picture. Thirdly, and this is, a, and I'll start, I'll start preaching in a minute. I haven't started preaching yet. Thirdly, I have given you messages for three and a half straight months. And my spirit is weary. Um, and your spirit's probably tired of listening to mine. <laughs> no, there's a, there's a sense in which, and I think probably you have, you have experienced this in your spiritual ministry. You know the woman who snuck up behind Jesus in the crowd and touched his robe, and Jesus felt his, his power go from him. There's a sense in which every message that connects makes power drain from the one who is giving it. 
And my, I am at, I'm on empty right now. After three and a half straight months of giving you messages and they have had an effect, my power, my, my spiritual uh, reservoir is, is down. And I would like to have a week to just drink in God for a while. And so that's what I'm going to be doing this week. I have asked uh, Dr. Marvin Mingo if he will give a, bring a message next week. And he is an accomplished speaker. And every time I listen to that man, I get fed. And we will, we will try when this happens, <laughs> not to throw you any ringers, you know. Um, we, we will get the best people we can get. And in asking Marv Mingle, uh, I've gotten the best person I can get. So he will be bringing the message next Sunday. And then the Sunday after that, we're going to begin, I'm going to begin preaching my way through the Gospel of Matthew. And then after we get done with that, I don't know how many years that'll take us. After we get done with that, I'm going to start preaching my way through the, 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 um, through the book of Acts. Uh, and hang on to your pews. Uh, but, I, but I, you know, unless we first preach our way through a gospel, we will not have the proper context to understand uh, the book of Acts. So that's where we're going to be in the future. And, uh, and I'll be here next week, and, and, uh, uh, but I just won't be bringing the message. From the... Last part of Peter. This is finishing our preaching through the book of Peter, which has taken us three and a half months instead of two and a half months. Um, I've had a good time with this, I, and I hope you've been edified. Um, last week was the last week for a content-oriented sermon, but I, want, I wanted to just bring to you the last three verses of this book because it typifies pastoral epistles. And I just want to do some consecrated wandering with you this morning. First of all, through Sylvanus. Sylvanus is the long Greek word of the name Silas. And you will remember that Silas was a missionary partner, first of Saul, and, um, I'm sorry, second of Saul. John Mark was with Saul, and then Silas took his place on, on subsequent missionary journeys. We believe that this is written through Silas. And I'll give you a couple reasons why. First of all, because it is written in elegant Greek. Peter was a fisherman. He was not a writer. And therefore, we believe that he gave this to Silas, and Silas cleaned, cleaned it up. This is written in classical Greek with nuances that can only come from a very educated man. And Silas was a Roman citizen, very well educated, and so Peter probably wrote this epistle through Silas, through, through Sylvanus or Silas, our faithful brother, for uh, so I regard him. I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testify that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark. Now let me explain that paragraph to you. <clears throat> she who is in Babylon could be a couple of people. First of all, it could be his wife. Um, Babylon is the code name for Rome. So uh, she who is in Babylon could be his wife who is in Rome, and in which case he could very well have a son named Mark. This literally could be his son who is sending. So he says, my family is sending you greetings. Chosen with you means she is also suffering trials like you are suffering trials. More likely, though, he is talking about a church, the church of Rome. And she, who, who, this church family is sending you greetings. 
and so does my son Mark. Mark literally and probably is the writer of the Gospel of Mark. Mark had to hear that gospel from an apostle who was not one of the first, who was one of the first apostles, because Mark wasn't. And so it is theorized that Mark or Peter is the one that told Mark the gospel, and Mark wrote it down. So this is probably the gospel writer who is sending his greetings along with Peter. What's, what can we get out of this? Can we get a, could we get a sermon at all out of this? Probably not. But that's not going to stop me. <laughs> Ignorance has never stopped me. Let, me. let me share with you what is very important that comes at the end of a firm exhortation with many spiritual principles that you can find after pastoral epistle, after pastoral epistle. There is mention of people whom both parties love. What I have tried to give you through the book of 1 Peter is many spiritual principles that you can stand firm in. He says, stand firm in this. Spiritual principles that will en enable you to be edified, that is built up. Edified is the word from which we get our word edifice, that can make you strong, a strong building for the Lord. But right here at the end, the gospel writers or the, the pastoral epistle writers always give us a little picture that goes beyond spiritual principles that is so valuable to us. They say that the church is more than spiritual principles. The church is people. And they can't, they can't stop without mentioning people that they love. Um, business is beginning to discover that when it comes to researching the success of marketing, the way they've always done that was they've taken sales, they've taken mar different marketing um, uh, analysis, they've charted out graphs and all that kind of stuff, and from those, they have decided whether or not they have successfully marketed a product. You know what they're doing these days? They're going out and they're surveying people how they feel about it and what their impressions are about it. The word in marketing nowadays is that hard data is not the utmost anymore. The word is soft is hard. What they used to consider soft, that is, how do you feel about this, is really the most important information they can get. Because no matter what they've done to it, no matter what statistics are telling them, how people feel about a product is really the bottom line. And you know what? The same principle stands true for God's church. I could set up here and quote you one firm spiritual principle after another. But unless you came here and really believed that God cared for you as a person and that other people would do anything to get closer to you, unless you believe that, you will never hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. No matter how many facts you've heard, no matter how many beautiful messages you've taken home, no matter how many notes you have in your notebook, unless you understand that the body of believers is a body of people, you never hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me just share with you the feeling of Romans chapter 16. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 16, will you? New Testament, right after the book of Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John... Acts, Romans, okay? 
And here, Paul, like Peter, begins to remember the people that he loved. After he's given all of the facts and all of the spiritual principles, the crowning glory for him is to remember the people that he loved. Let's just read through that together. And let me give you just a flavor of what's happening in his heart. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church. Now, servant, the Greek word is diakonia, from which we get the word deacon. That is the only place in the whole New Testament that there is hinted that there is a woman deacon in the church. But it is very clear here that that's the same word. That you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, that you help her in whatever she may have need of you, for she herself has also been a helper of many and of myself. You know, she, he's talking about somebody he loves. Greet Prisca and Aquila. Now, Prisca is the, the, the diminutive form of that, of that name is Priscilla, and usually we call her Priscilla. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ. These two people, they're a married couple. The evidence would say, because her name comes before his in the gospel, that they have a, they have a romantic background. See, her name indicates that she was high in the social structure and that she was to be regarded as a very high status. And see, Aquila was just an old tent maker. But they met in an atmosphere of Jesus Christ and they fell in love and they began a mutual ministry for Jesus Christ. And they met Paul at Corinth. And then when Paul moved to Ephesus, they followed him. <gasps> Follow the preacher? Yes, they did. Oh, that's terrible. They're following the man. No, it's okay. They followed him. It says in Acts 18, 18, they went with him to Ephesus. And they worked with him there in the ministry. And then they had kind of a semi-nomadic life. The Lord led them to Rome, and they led them back to Ephesus, and so on and so forth. It's a great love story, a love of a mutual ministry in the Lord. And see, Paul has traveled to different parts of the country with them. And he loves them. And he says, greet them, and they greet you. He says, it says greet Prisca or Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ. I want you to know he's not talking about fellow workers. He's talking about friends who for my life risked their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Also greet the church that is in their house. They always had a church in their house. Um, greet, uh, I don't know how to pronounce that name, Eponetus or whatever his name is, my beloved, who is my first convent, uh, convert to Christ in Asia. How many of you can remember the first person you ever shared the gospel with? Trembling, you know, you knew God wanted you to do it. You didn't really want to do it. But to your surprise, they said, I'd like to pray that prayer with you. I'd like to accept Jesus Christ. Boy, if that has ever happened in your life, you know what a spot there is in your life, and you will never, never forget that person. Okay. And then it, it says, uh, Greet Ampapletus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet, oh, I'm sorry, I, I sp skipped over there. Greet Mary who has worked hard for you. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm skipping a whole bunch of stuff there. Uh, first count, yeah, greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Antronicus and Junius, my kinsmen. These are fellow former Jews and people who have spent time with him in prison, who are standing among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. 
Greet Amplitus, uh, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ. And Stachus, my beloved. Greet Ampelus, approved in, the, uh, approved in Christ. Greet those who are in the household of uh, Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my kinsman, another Jew. And greet those of the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Now let me tell you about Narcissus. Narcissus was a servant of the emperor. And Narcissus was, he, he got himself to the place where he was the person who approved who could present their petitions to the emperor. Now can you imagine how much you would get bribed if somebody wanted the emperor to hear something and you were the only person they could go through? This guy amassed a fortune of $9 million simply from the bribes he took. But the slaves that were in his house who saw all that money could buy were Christians. Even though they were privy to that kind of riches, they decided that they would rather follow Jesus Christ. He says, greet them who are in the Lord. And greet Tryphena and Tryphosa. Now I want you to see this. These are twin sisters. Tryphena and Tryphosa, workers in the Lord, greet Persis of the Beloved who has worked hard in the Lord. Now the, the Greek word here that is used for this is kopia, which means he who toils to the point of exhaustion. And the irony of this is that Tryphena literally means dainty, and Tryphosa literally means delicate. And what he's saying is, even though they are dainty and delicate, they work their fingers to the bone for Jesus Christ. And he remembers that. And he goes on. Greet Rufus, a choice man in the Lord, also his mother and mine. Rufus was the son, Simon of Cyrene. You remember the guy who carried the cross of Jesus Christ? who they picked out of the crowd, and they said, you carry this cross because he can't bear it anymore. His name was Simon of Cyrene. He was from Africa. Almost 100% sure he was black. And he carried the cross of Christ. And he had two sons, Alexander and Rufus. And Rufus is referred to, I won't give you all the details how we know this, but, but there's very good evidence that this is his son, Rufus, who is the head of a choice man in the Lord. That means he's a leader in the church. He's a black man who still has his mother with him and his mother is also, has also been a mother to Jesus Christ. You see, in Christ there is no male nor female, nor great nor free, nor black nor white. No difference in Jesus Christ. And then he says, goes on, and, and, and I, I won't take, you know, I don't want to do the whole thing, but I want, what I want to say to you is that when people end the gospel, when they've finished with the facts, the most important part is the people. The most important part is the people. I want you to know that Paul was not trying to motivate people to good works. It is not the job of a preacher to try to motivate people to good works. First place, it can't be done except on a short term. In the second place, when you're trying to motivate or manipulate people into working for the Lord, you're doing it for the wrong reason. You're doing it so that the church can progress or you're doing it so that you can sense a sense of power. Nobody can motivate for the love of Christ except Christ.
You know what really has struck me since I've been down here? The people who do the work of this church, and many of them are listed. I've tried to stay away from elders' names and deacons' names, but many of them are listed in your bulletin this morning. I just sat down one, one morning and in five minutes just ripped off the names that came to mind, and I've forgotten a bunch of them, I guarantee you. But what really strikes me is the people who are down here working week in and week out with absolutely no recognition. What makes a Becky Peters worry about manning Sunday school teachers for months and months and months and months and nobody thanks her for that? What makes her do that? Is it because she's been motivated somehow by something a preacher said sometime? That's a gift to God from her. What makes a Bill Davenport sit out there and when nobody is around, work day after day after day, a man who's living on disability, he's down here every day working for God. And nobody sees him doing that. He's not doing it for men. He's doing it for God. It amazes me, the people and what they do. What makes a LaDonna Almond come down here? She is a trained preschool teacher. She could be doing what she does here for mega bucks, and she's down here every week organizing, working, teaching children in Mother's Morning Out in the same way that they would be taught if we were all paying 50 bucks a month. And she's doing it because she loves God. What makes people do it? Just the love of God. We don't need to motivate people because when people love God, they respond. And there's nothing you can do to motivate them. And there's really nothing you can do to, to, to thank them. I know that every person I just named wants to sink under the pew in front of them and never be seen again in the church. They don't want that thanks. And I could sit here and name person after person that's not even on this sheet that amazes me because of what they are putting into this church. Paul's not, to, not trying to motivate people here. He's not trying to... to, to thank them so that they'll do it some more. But by the same token, let me tell you this, he's not taking them for granted. He's not saying at the end of this, well, I can't thank anybody, so I can't thank everybody, so I just won't thank anybody. He's not saying I wouldn't mention a person's name because that's what they're supposed to do if they love God. See, that's the other extreme. If we don't ever appreciate or have regard for our fellow workers in Christ, we are not living up to the innuendos and the love of the gospel. When's the last time you thanked the Sunday school teacher of your child? Just had regard for them. Not to reward them, just to have a regard. Greet them warmly, the Bible says. Give them a warm handshake. When's the last time? See, that's the most important part of the gospel. The person to person, I have regard for you. That is so important. And when is the last time you realized that God uses specific people in specific ways to accomplish His purpose and there are some people who don't have all the gifts? Now let me say that again. When is the last time you did not look at somebody and you, say, and, and you didn't say, you know, so-and-so ought to do this. So-and-so ought to be like this. If I were so-and-so, this would be the way I'd work. You don't understand how God works through people. 
There are certain gifts that people have, and they will not have other gifts because God equipped them with a certain kind of personality. Now, let me, let me just share with you from a personal standpoint, because I'm not going to point somebody else, somebody out here. Just let me share you personally. When Roger, the last pastor, was here, you were a fortunate people. Because Roger had the gift of sitting down and taking time. For, Roger had the gift of mercy. You know that? That guy had compassion coming out every pore. And when you were talking with Roger, you were the only person in the world. And you knew there was nothing he'd rather do than just sit there and talk with you. And if you had four hours, Roger had four hours. I mean, that's the impression I get of Roger. And you were blessed. Now, for any of you who have tried to have those same conversations with me, you realize there's a slight difference between this guy and Roger. You know why? Because I've been given a different gift. I can never live up to Roger. Never. In your personal lives. And I apologize for that. But let me say this to you, that if Roger is what you need, God has planted a whole bunch of Rogers among you. Because I do not have the gift of mercy. I am more the Episcopos nature. I, I think in terms of where is God leading the church. And let me tell you something. God sent me here, and he didn't make a mistake. I'm not trying to say to you that God really made a mistake when he put me together because he should have molded me to what you needed. He's given you what you needed with each other. And he has sent me here because I'm the other part of what you needed. All right? You need a leader. You need a neck. <laughs> Somebody to connect the body with the head. And I'm going to be your neck. But a neck... <laughs> yes, sir. But a neck isn't something that hugs very good, is it? And a neck isn't something that looks down deep into your eyes and understands. All he does is just connect you with the head. And that's why God sent me here. But along with that, Paul... And Peter and all the gospel writers say, you know, there have been people in my life that have done things I could never do. There have been people in the ministry of the gospel that I am so thankful for because they have completed the body and God put them there when I could not be there. And God gave them gifts that even if I were there, I couldn't administer. That's who he's thanking right here. What is going on? Cut that out. Is it time? Why don't you just get a big staff and jerk me off the thing? <laughs> I just kidding. I just give you a rough time. It's fun. My message to you, you know, you know, in a traditional church, you kind of get the idea that the guy up there with robes, I miss my robes. <laughs> the guy, <laughs> big events. See, Shelbyville has a town of only about, uh, that's my hometown, uh, only about eight to 10,000 people. And the big event in Shelby, Ohio, is Memorial Day Parade because everybody who has any inkling toward drama at all is in that parade. I mean, we've got horses that totally gross out the crowd. We've got boys and girls who decorate. This is really cute. They decorate their, thing, their, their, their bikes with crepe paper and ride around, and some, some kids when I was growing up, didn't have bikes, so they painted their dog, literally. 
paint his feet blue, paint his head red, and they'd walk their dog in the parade. Everybody thought it was the greatest thing in the world. I mean, we had the band and all that kind of stuff, and we had the little guys with the bucket hats and the swords riding around in those little cars, cars having the time of their life. I tell you, how'd you like to be a professional parade guy? They just loved it. But Shelby, Ohio, Memorial Day Parade, you would watch it downtown, and then it would march out to the cemetery. And you'd just have a ball. I mean, it was so much fun. You knew everybody. You'd say, oh, there's Mikey, and, you know, he needs a Kleenex. Go give him a Kleenex. And they'd wipe, run out in the middle of the parade and wipe this kid's nose and send him on his way. And then they'd march their way out to the cemetery, and they had a real big, see, there's all the legionnaires and the VFW guys were out there. And they would have, the mayor would say something, and everybody would go, oh, that's the mayor. I, I shook his hand last year. It was really great. And then they'd have the Boy Scouts say something, and they, you could tell they said, now, speak clearly, because, and slowly, because his first words were, four score and seven years And the Girl Scouts would come up and say, the history of Shelby, Ohio. Couldn't hear a thing. But here's the point. They got to the place where they went and placed the wreaths around, and then all of these veterans would give them a, like a 21-gun salute. These guys had, had their uniforms on. The buttons were going like this. <laughs> Stomachs were sticking out the middle there. But, man, they'd marched all the way down there. And they even had some World War I veterans. So that when they said, present arms, you know, they'd, they'd do this, you know, and they'd, they'd say, ready, and they'd put it on their shoulder. And there was this one guy from World War I, bless his heart, couldn't have weighed 80 pounds, must have been 120 years old. Every year he wanted to do that, and he couldn't get the rifle all the way up. So it was, he was always holding it, pointing it at the crowd. <laughs> Luckily, it was blank. Peter, people scattered anyhow. But, but see, and they shoot their guns, and a guy would stand off in the cemetery and play taps, and it was the greatest thing in the world. You know, it was really entertaining. And, and, but you'd look at these guys' face, and those people had tears coming down. And I thought, man, I missed something here. I really enjoyed this, but it's nothing to get choked up about. And I realized afterwards that every one of those veterans, every one of those who had made a sacrifice for the country, were touched to the bottom of their souls. You see, the difference between somebody who makes a sacrifice, who is involved, who is used, and somebody who observes, is that the observers get enjoyment. And the ones who have been sacrificed get used. They feel what others can only hear. God wants that for us. He really does. So I'm here to encourage you to pull the brakes off your ministry. The first inclination, and we've seen some evidence, that when a leader comes, everybody draws back and says, now we've got a leader, we don't have to work so hard. God is telling you just the opposite. Now that we have a leader, God expects twice as much from you as He ever did without one. Pull off your brakes. One more story. Um, um, it's about, and you probably heard this before. I heard this from a Texan. It's about this, this people in Texas. Somebody's here from Texas. Just move from Texas. You'll enjoy this had this big fire in Texas, big fire. And there was, this, there was all these, all these uh, big fire trucks, and there was a seven-alarm fire, and all of these guys came down, you know, and, 
and there was, a, there was a, some water in the middle of it, but they couldn't get to the water, so they all stood with their hoses kind of sprinkling into it, and it wasn't doing any good, but it was too hot to get near to it, and the fire chief who was commanding the thing was saying, battalion X, go over here, and so on and so forth. Get, they, they fight the thing for two hours, do no good. They offer reward. The people from this oil field offer reward for anybody who can put it out. Nobody can put it out. In the middle of the afternoon, they hear this little ding a ling a ling a ling ling and they look up on top of this hill, and here's this little old fire truck from a neighboring village, has one hose, who just came out to see if they could help. And they start down that hill, ling a 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 ling and the people are looking at them, and they're starting to think, boy, that thing's going pretty fast, better slow down. And ding a ling a ling a ling doesn't slow down, speeds up. And ding a ling a ling a ling a ling and everybody has their eyes on this little fire truck. This fire truck bursts through those flames, goes right to the center of the fire, hooks up the hose, puts the dude out. They're standing there in the smoldering flames. The, the, the TV people come to the fire chief who has his, his hat sideways and everything's black on his face. His hair's frizzed up. They're bearing down on this guy with a camera. They present this guy with $50,000. They said, here's the check for putting out this fire. The cameraman or the, the, the sound man goes under him with a microphone and says, that was the most marvelous thing I've ever seen. What do you plan to do with the $50,000? And the old guy says, the first thing we're going to do is get the brakes on that gall darn truck fix. <laughs> off your brakes people I know that there's a certain certain wall that you want to get through and that you want you gotta get close to people pull off your brakes and you will find yourself accomplishing things that you never could have just listening to the principles appreciating people regarding people and the first step to pulling off your brakes is what we're gonna do right now any of you who during the following prayer time, and Pete's going to explain this in, in again to you, but any of you who in the following prayer time really have regard for another individual in this body and just want to thank God for them and just say a prayer thanking God for these individuals, we're going to invite you up to these microphones and just let you do that. Say, so-and-so has really ministered to me, God, and I thank you for this person. Okay? Let me just say a prayer, though, before that. Father, we thank you that the gospel is more than principles. That in the end result, the gospel is people. And no matter how we relate the truth of the gospel, if we do not relate it in love, we have failed. You have said to us in your scripture that we can have all knowledge and understand all mysteries. And we can have all faith, but if we have not love, we are nothing. So we would ask you two things this morning. First of all, we would ask you that if there is anybody here who has not accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior as a source of that love for one another, that that person do that right now in their heart, that they determine that they are going to follow Christ from now on. And then secondly, Lord, let those people who need to appreciate, appreciate others, have regard for them, for their ministries, for they are accomplishing 
what cannot be accomplished by other people. Give us now a heart of understanding and regard. In Jesus' name, amen.